Uh, Today we are going to be looking in Galatians chapter 1. Last week I preached about how that Paul rebuked this church because they were turning away from Christ. But today I get to talk about the other side of that. Turning to Christ. Turning to Christ. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, Paul was addressing himself to a group of people who were turning away from Christ. They had heard the gospel. They were listening to the Jewish teachers who were claiming to be Christians, but they were calling on these people to go back under Judaism. And Paul knew, Paul knew, perhaps as well as anybody knew or anybody could know, Paul knew everything that Judaism had to offer. Nobody was going to talk to Paul about what Judaism could do. In a way then, their experiences were just the opposite. Paul knew, you see, that Judaism and and Jesus were not compatible. You could follow Jesus or you could follow Judaism, but you couldn't follow both. Paul knew that. He knew it full well. So on the one hand, Paul was raised in Judaism, had turned away from it to turn to Christ. But there the Galatians were. They had turned to Christ. But they were trying to turn away from Christ and go to Judaism. So here in these two chapters, we are going to see Paul addressing all of that, bringing all of that into uh, their consideration. And, And a lot of that is going to have to do with his own experience and his own testimony. Paul, you remember, had faced intense hatred and persecution from the Jews as he preached in the cities of Galatia and planted churches at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. He had felt that persecution literally under blood as he had been stoned and drug outside the city and left for dead. But now those claiming to be believers in Christ were trying to bring Judaism and Christianity together. We can understand their goal even as we vehemently deny the validity of it because they saw the hostility of the Jews against the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they thought if they could just talk these Gentiles then into embracing Judaism and to following the ritual of circumcision and then ask going along with all of these other Jewish rituals, then the Jews wouldn't hate Christianity so much. They could find a way then to just get along and and go along and make things a peaceful way to worship God together. In a way, today we face the same kind of temptation. We can understand it, though we deny it. Many are the voices today that would call on us to go along with all of the cultural changes and cultural transformations. Just uh, turn away from a few ideas here, a few ideas there, a few things the Bible teaches here, a few things the Bible teaches there, and find a way then for us all to just go along. That temptation to us, in a way, is the same as it was then. But I want you to know, Paul said, if I was still preaching circumcision, if I was still preaching Judaism, then he said the offense of the cross would have ceased. But the offense of the cross had not ceased and after all these many centuries the offense of the cross has still not ceased it is still very real 
when the cross of Jesus Christ is preached in its purity and in the power of the Holy Spirit of God, it cuts across the grain of humanity. It always has. It always will. Now, in our text, we're going to see the false teachers and how they were working. And as they were doing this and leading them in the directions they were leading them, they were also attacking the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And we can see that by some of the questions then that he uses to respond to what they were doing. When he asked, for example, do I persuade men or God or do I seek to please men? We understand then that Paul's enemies were saying to these people, well, you know, Paul is just trying to make this thing easy so he can gather together a whole bunch of Gentile people as if you had to do anything to make the gospel easy. Amen. But you see for them as a Jewish way of thinking they looked at how the Gentiles had such an aversion uh, to circumcision and they refused to do that. So just by taking that out then they would make it so easy for the Gentiles to be saved. Paul's just out to make it easy for them to please them. Make it pleasing to them. After all, they wouldn't have to be circumcised. They'd just believe on Jesus Christ and be saved. Don't have to be circumcised. Don't have to keep the law of Moses. Well, you can eat whatever you want to. You can go visit with whoever you want to. You can dress however you want to dress. Well, just, uh, he's just trying to make it so easy, just so he can be pleasing then to the Gentiles. But Paul saw a fundamental flaw in their thinking. He said, listen, if all I wanted to do was please people, he said, I would not be serving Jesus at all. Why? Because Paul would have stayed where he was, steeped in Judaism with all of his kinfolks, with all of his friends, with all of the people that he loved, with all of the teachers that had taught him that he respected and admired. Why would he turn away from all of those people that he had known and loved all his life in order to go try to please a bunch of people that he didn't even know, had never met? Never been around. And besides that were Gentiles that he'd been raised up all his life to look down on and look with hatred and disdain on. Why would I turn away from pleasing the Jews in order to please a bunch of people that I had never ever met? Paul said, if I was just out to please people, I would have stayed where I was. I wouldn't be serving Jesus Christ. The second accusation then that Paul had to answer was that Paul had just invented this on his own. And we hear people say that even today. Well, that's your opinion. That's how you see it. That's how you think. That's what you think the Bible says. Well, that's just one man's opinion. And that's exactly what they were saying of the Apostle Paul. Well, you know, Paul had just invented this. This is just something that either he cooked up all by himself or maybe a couple of others got together with him and they all cooked it up together thinking that this gospel was going to come in of Jesus Christ and, and replace thousands of years of Jewish tradition and history. Well, Paul just came up with that all by himself or maybe with a few other people and they cooked it up. But Paul refutes that. By saying this gospel did not come from men. Why is that important? Because listen, unless the gospel comes from Jesus Christ, it has no power to do anything for anybody. 
Paul says, I didn't get this. I didn't think it up on my own. I didn't team up with a few others to come up with the gospel. I want you to understand this morning that when he says it's not after man, it means that humanity would have never come up with a gospel like the gospel. If humanity would have invented it, it wouldn't look like this. Because the gospel is from start to finish, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is how that Jesus was in the form of God and yet thought it not robbery or a thing to be sought after to be equal with God because he was equal with God. It is the gospel of how then that he humbled himself and emptied himself of the display of his deity without ever ceasing to be God then. He also became fully man and being found in fashionism man then. It is the gospel of how he submitted himself to the cross, to death, to even the death of the cross. It is the gospel of how he lived sinlessly and died as a substitute for your sins and for my sins. It's the gospel that takes sinners and transforms them. It is the gospel that declares our guilt and then takes our guilt away. It is the gospel that shows us our weakness and then reveals to us God's power. It is the gospel that says, I can't live up to this. <laughs> and then the gospel that God doesn't expect us to live up to it because we can't. It is the gospel that changes the lives of people for time and for eternity. Man could not come up with a gospel like this because we don't have any kind of even a point of reference to come up with a gospel like this. This gospel is from start to finish the gospel of Jesus Christ. He started it. He completed it. And he did it all for you and me. Paul, you see, says, I got this by revelation. He had a revelation encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think it is possible for us to ever really fathom what an incredibly life-changing moment it was when Paul, the young Jewish rabbi, on his way to Damascus, by the way, with the warrant from the high priest, no doubt leading a squadron of temporal soldiers with him, his goal was to go then to Damascus and break up another group of, of Christians. He had already hounded them out of Jerusalem and Judea. That's why he was going to Damascus. Now he's going to go up there and get some that got away from him. Well, they got away from me in Jerusalem, but I'm going to get him now. There he was. All of a sudden, the heavens opened up. Bright light shining on him struck him blind, and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Can you imagine? There he was, probably down on his knees. <laughs> well, who are you? I didn't know I was that bad at anybody up there. I, I thought I was bad at people down here. I, was, I wasn't doing anything up there. Who are you, Lord? Imagine then when the word came down, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. I don't think any of us can ever imagine what a life-changing moment that was for the Apostle Paul. What an incredible time. What an incredible situation that was. For him to realize that everything he had given up, everything he had given to be where he was, everything he had devoted his life to, was all, in effect, fighting against the Lord Jesus Christ. He would go on to say in verse 13, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, my former conduct. 
You know, I was, I was saved when I was seven years old. I, I didn't have time to get into a lot of trouble before I was seven. I did get a spanking or two, but I mean, it wasn't... Uh, uh, most of my mess-ups came after I was saved. Some of you may have that same testimony. Aren't you glad that God's been gracious to you? I'm sure glad God was gracious to me. They gave me time to grow and to move. But some of you have been on the other side of that. And you like Paul. You've got a former life. You can look back to a life that you were before. And a life that you lived. And a person that you were before you came to know Jesus Christ. Paul said, I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers. We know about Paul's former life. We know he was born in the tribe of Benjamin and that he was raised to be a Pharisee. We know that he lived in the city of Tarsus. And that made him a part of the Jews who were known as the diaspora, the people who were scattered around the world. We know that he was educated in Judea, that he learned to speak Hebrew as well as Greek and Roman or Latin. We know he had the equivalent then of three earned doctor degrees. That was Saul. We know he loved Judaism and hated Christianity. Whatever anybody might sit out to tell Paul about Judaism, Paul could say, I've been there and done that. Nobody knew it any better. He described himself as a Hebrew of the, of the Hebrews. He had a former life. He had a former conduct. This was the person he was and the life he lived before he knew the gospel of Jesus Christ. But once he met Jesus, everything changed. You know, we can argue about the gospel. We can talk about the gospel. But there's nothing that gives tribute to the gospel any better than lives that's been changed by it. And this morning, we're going to take a few moments to look at the things that Paul says. And he, he lays it out before us here in our text, starting in verse 15. The things that changed Paul forever. He says in verse 15, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Now, <clears throat> Even in our world today, there's still a tendency of people to embrace, to try to add something to the gospel. And almost always, that's going to be some kind of human works or religious performance. But here was Paul with this changed life. So how did that work? I would submit to you today that the same things that changed Paul is exactly the things that changed you. How did God work in Paul's life? Same way he worked in your life. Same way he works in mine. So first of all, Paul said, God separated me from my mother's womb. Now this passage is somehow sometimes used to teach false doctrines. So it's important for us to know what uh, this passage doesn't say. Paul does not mean when he says God separated me from my mother's womb that Paul was born saved. I want to remind you that though multitudes of people are, are embracing that idea today, 
And a companion idea with that is the idea of what we call pedo-baptism. That is infant baptism. Some of you were baptized as infants. I know it. I've heard your testimony. And you were baptized as infants because somebody believed in your family. Your parents might have believed. They'd bought into the idea that, that when you're born as, as a child of, of, of Christian parents, then that makes you a Christian. But you know, and I know that the Bible emphasizes not the first birth, but the second birth. You must be born again, the Bible says. Paul wasn't born saved. And we know this because the Bible teaches so strongly that people have to be born again. This passage then does not mean that God chooses to save certain people so that the opposite is also true, that God chooses some to be lost and they never have a chance to be saved. The Bible tells us that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's not a passage of Scripture that says that God has chosen some people to be lost. What then does this passage tell us? It tells us that God had a plan for Paul's life that was known to God before Paul was ever born. And you know that was true of you too. It was back in April of 1959 when a little boy was born in Willis Knighton Hospital in Shreveport, Louisiana. That was me. God didn't sit up in heaven and say, wow, I didn't know he was going to be born. Isn't that that amazing? Look at there. My birth was not a surprise to God. When seven years later in 1966, in July, when I received Christ as my Savior, God didn't sit up in heaven and say, Wow, I didn't think he was ever going to get saved. No, what a surprise. No, God wasn't surprised. But you know where people cross the line with all of this today is they want to take it another step further and say that God determines uh, who is going to be saved and who is going to be lost. And that's already predetermined before they ever get here. Listen, that violates the teaching of the Word of God, which tells us again and again and again that salvation comes when we repent of our sins and we believe the gospel. We've covered that already in this passage. It is all about believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and receiving him then as our Savior. This passage then simply tells us that God had a plan for Paul. Why wasn't Paul a a miscarriage or why wasn't he stillborn? Today we might well ask why he wasn't aborted. Because one of the most dangerous places, one of the greatest threats to the unborn today is of abortion. And I just want to say, if I didn't have anything else but this passage of Scripture, and I got a lot more, God said to Jeremiah, I knew you, and I formed you in the womb. There are multitudes of passages that speak of how that God has a plan, God has a purpose, and that purpose includes everyone that is conceived, every child that is conceived. God has a plan, God has a purpose, God has awareness about all of them. Why not me? Why not you? Why didn't I break my neck when I fell out of a tree in the fifth grade instead of breaking my arm? Why didn't I die of teenage foolishness like so many of my friends did? You say, well, God had a plan for your life. Yeah, but God has a plan for your life too. 
It may not be in vocational ministry, but every one of us has a calling, a vocation to advance the kingdom work of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in our egocentric view of the world, we tend to think that everything is all about me. But God can look at you and see your children's 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 children. God can see generations that are born. And God can say to Paul, I separated you from your mother's womb. I gave you life. I had a plan for your life all along. God has a plan for us as well. Then secondly, Paul mentions that he was called by God's grace. And this is a companion scripture to 1 Corinthians 15 where he said, I am the least of the apostles and are not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Now God has not called you to be an apostle. But God has called you by his grace. And though you can't say, well, I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can say, if you're a blood-bought, born-again, child of heaven's king, you can say that I am what I am by the grace of Almighty God. That's true of you. It is true of me as well. We are what we are by the grace of God. You don't deserve it. You haven't lived up to it. But you stand today by the marvelous and amazing grace of God. So God separated Paul from his mother's womb. And God called him then by his grace. And then he revealed Jesus in him. Paul was to have a Christ-centered, gospel-centered ministry. And you and I are as well. Again, God may not call you into vocational ministry, but God can use you and God will use you right where you are to be a constant witness to the life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's grace is working in you. God's grace is working in you and you and you and you folks in the balcony too. God is working in us all. Why? Because he wants to reveal Christ through you and me. And I can get up in my pulpit and preach the Word of God. And I can preach to whoever's here and whoever's at home. And you say, well, I could never do that. Yeah, but God can use you to reach somebody that I might never get to darken the door of. They might not ever even open the door to somebody like me. But they'll listen to you because you've got a testimony with them. God has chosen to reveal Christ in you. And all our world desperately needs to see Jesus Christ. Paul was headed then into Damascus. If you read the narrative of the book of Acts, you might figure that everything that happened there happened over the time of a few months. But when you put it all together with what Paul says here, you're going to see that after Paul was saved, had that marvelous encounter on the road to Damascus, he went into Arabia for three years. He came back to Damascus then and preached for a short time and got run out of town. He went down to Judea and he spent three weeks there in Jerusalem before they ran him out of town again. He got to spend three weeks with the apostle Peter, he says in this text, uh, before he had to leave and go back to Tarsus. And he would stay there. Remember, three years have already passed. He would stay there from five to seven years in Tarsus. While Jesus, or while Paul was there in Jerusalem, Jesus would appeal to him. 
appear to him rather. And in Acts chapter 22 and verse 18, he, uh, Jesus said to Paul, Make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And that wasn't just the unbelieving Jews. It was the Christian Jews as well. They didn't believe him. They wouldn't receive him. He got some precious time with the apostle Peter, but the churches weren't open to him. See, they didn't believe in this rabbi, persecutor, former terrorist who's now proclaiming himself to be a Christian. They, they didn't believe it. A lot of time was going to pass before they would come back and say, yeah, we understand him. We believe it. It's real. Galatians 1.21, Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but they had heard only that he which persecuted us in time past now preaches the faith which once he destroyed. And notice verse 24, And they glorified God in me. Ten years. Some commentaries say as much as twelve years. Passed between the time when Paul was saved on the road to Damascus and the time then when Barnabas would go up to Tarsus and get him and bring him down and get him started preaching then and teaching in the great church at Antioch in Syria. Ten to twelve years. Time for the gospel to percolate in his life real good. Some of you young folks might have to look that up. if You've never heard those coffee makers percolating. Yeah, uh, it's all right. It's a, good, it's, a, it's a very good concept for those of us who've been around. to say He, he, he let the, Paul steep in the gospel for a while. Gave him long enough for him to demonstrate that this wasn't just some flash in the pan kind of thing that was going to be here today and gone tomorrow. He wasn't going to accept Christ today and then be back persecuting them all uh, next week or next month. This wasn't something that was just going to be a fly-by-night kind of thing. No, Paul had some time. God gave him some time to study the gospel, to learn about the truth. God knew what was ahead of the apostle Paul. And he knew what kind of persecution he was going to face and what kind of opposition that he was going to face to the gospel. He knew that everything he believed was going to be challenged. And I want to tell you folks as God's people today that the exact same thing is true of us. God has given us some precious time. Time for us to learn the truth of God. Time for us to learn the truth of Scripture. Time for the gospel to grow strong and deep in our hearts and lives because God knows that the time is coming when all these things are going to be challenged and we're living in it. But it's coming more. You young people that are here today, you need to understand you've been given a precious time, yes, to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, but also to learn the truth of the gospel because when you get out into college, you're going to have everything you believe call into question. Are you ready then to stand up for what you believe in? Do you know this truth? Do you know why you believe what you believe? You see, God is showing us in this passage how the gospel works to change us. And it begins with our understanding that God has a plan for our life. 
that God has separated me from my mother's womb, that God called me by his grace, that God plans then to reveal his son in me. And then God gives me the time that I need, precious time, to make sure that I have established my seriousness, my commitment to the gospel truth, and my understanding of the gospel truth, because all those things will be challenged. I want you to remind you today that Paul was, did not grow up in a family of infidels. He grew up in a highly, highly religious family. He thought he knew God. He thought that God was going to accept him into heaven because he had done all the things that God told him not to do. And he, had, he was doing all the things that God told him to do. He had religion. He had ritual. He had it all. He had it all down. He was dotting all the I's and, and, and crossing all the T's. He had everything down when it comes to having that religion. But I want you to know that Paul's religion of Judaism did not save him. But I also want you to know that you being a Baptist won't save you either. Or for whatever, you can put in, fill in the blank. I can say to you without fear this morning that being a Baptist has saved just as many people as being a Catholic has saved. Or being a Methodist has saved. Or being an Episcopalian or a Presbyterian is saved. Because let me tell you something. Being a Baptist has never saved anybody. Religion does not save anybody. It is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul had a real revelation experience with Jesus Christ. He met Jesus. He saw him as his Savior. He understood that all of that work that he had been doing and all that religious activity that he had been going through had not done anything for him. And that what he had tried to do for himself had made him miserable had all been done by Jesus Christ. It takes a lot of gospel to save a person who is committed to a life of sin and depravity. It takes a lot of gospel to save a religious person who trusts in his own works. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12 Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ saved sinners? You say, well, Brother Rich, you're talking to us like we're a bunch of sinners today. Well, gospel saves sinners. Paul puts before us this incredible revelation today because it's still to do, as true today as it was then. Paul's religion in Judaism did not save him. That's why he was so, so vitally concerned about watching the 
Galatian believers turned from Christ to turn back to what he knew had never saved anybody. They had what they needed. They had Jesus Christ. They were going to turn into terrible error that had robbed them of their joy and the vitality of their service of Lord Jesus Christ. I want to call out to all of you today to make sure that you've had that real revelation encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't mean that you've seen the heavens open and you saw deep. No, that, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that you've heard the voice of God speaking to you out of heaven. No. I'm talking about do you know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins. Have you seen him, experienced him, and that real revelation of him as your Savior, the Savior that you desperately needed? Have you trusted in him? Has he changed your life? And if not, I, I plead with you today to receive Jesus Christ. I plead with all of you watching at home to make that same decision. Religion is something that the devil loves to offer people as a substitute for the true gospel of Jesus Christ. But the fact is, going to heaven is not a matter of what you do. Going to heaven is a matter of what Jesus Christ does for you. Because he's the one who died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day. And he gives us a simple message. Whoever believes on me, Jesus said, should not perish but have everlasting life. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? I want to appeal to you today. If, if you haven't, if you've got questions, I, I want you to call me. Maybe you can't come if you're at home, but you can call. And uh, I'm going to put my cell number up on the screen, and uh, it's 501-860-4733. And uh, you call me, text me. Text me is better, and then I'll call you back. Oh, I'd like to know more about how to receive Christ as my Savior. I don't have peace in what I've been. I've been a good person. I, I've tried to live a good life. But, oh, listen, you need Jesus Christ as your Savior. All have sinned, the Bible says, and come short of the glory of God. Would you receive him today? Maybe you've already received him. You need to follow him in baptism. or You need a church home. You call me. Let us know. Come see me. Respond to this invitation.